0: Life Audio. Today, we are reading a psalm that talks a lot about our unanswered questions and how do we resolve those? Are they resolved? Will they be resolved this side of heaven? Maybe, maybe not. Because ultimately, the questions that we have are only resolved in the reality of God. And sometimes that may happen this side of heaven, sometimes it may not. The tension that we find ourselves in when we have these unanswered questions is what we're going to address today. After a word from our sponsor, we're going to dive in. Stay tuned. Hey, friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're going to be reading Psalm 74. And as a reminder, we're doing a devotional reading through one psalm each day. And the reason why we're doing this, if you haven't been with us for a while, you can go back and listen to our introductory session to the Psalms. But the reason why we're doing this is because the Psalm book was really the hymn book and the prayer book of Jesus and the disciples. It's the most quoted book of the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament. And so I felt like it was a foundational way for us to understand some of the things that the disciples and Jesus were saying. And then also a lot of the Psalms point forward to Jesus in a messianic way. They point forward to him being the Messiah. So if you are just joining us, you can Sign up for the newsletter at shehears.org where every Monday you get an email that has the journaling prompts that go along with each of these podcast episodes, each book of the Psalms. And if you would like the previous episodes that we've done or the previous journaling prompts, Psalms 1 through 50 is now available at shehears.org on the resources page. And that's just $5 and includes both the audio devotional, some journaling space to write the key verse and the prompt, the question, the journaling question for the day. And I like journaling just because I feel like it helps us get the information from our head and into our heart. So like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 74. I'm reading from the NIV and I'll be starting at verse 1. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion where you dwelt. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They have behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every Place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the seas by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of the leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the light. Of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. So today's Psalm is really what's called a community lament, meaning it is a prayer that is crying out to God. And it is really generated by this national crisis that is going to result in the destruction of the temple. And so this crisis, Psalm 74, is also the background of Psalm 89. So keep that in mind when we read that uh, in about two weeks. But what I want to point out before we get into it is that This is a prayer where the psalmist is praying God's judgment and discipline will not last forever, which tells us that they're in a season of judgment and discipline, which is a consequence of their own actions. But yet what this prayer is doing is it is not just praying that this won't last forever, but it's also warning us that even though God is patient, He's not going to tolerate sin forever. We definitely have a God of grace that is patient, that longs for us to get a, get it and meets us where we're at, but he's not going to just ignore sin forever. And I think that is a very stark warning for us, especially as we tend to live in a culture that is so grace focused that sometimes we forget about the discipline part. And when that discipline comes, it feels a lot like disaster. It feels like sorrow. And, you know, a lot of times we will start to experience God's hand of discipline and judgment and we will immediately repent, but that's not always enough to get us out of the consequences of our sin. And so that's something that I think is the backdrop of today's psalm that is really important for us to remember. Because remember where Israel's at at this point in history, they have ignored the covenant and they have lived in rebellion for quite some time at this point. Babylon has invaded, they have been taken into captivity, and not only they're in captivity, but some of them are not living according to God's standard when they're in captivity. They have assimilated into the culture there, which is against God's plan what we see a lot in this Psalm is why remember, why remember? And I don't know if you can identify that, but I can. I mean, there've been times in my life where I've been experiencing God's hand of discipline and I'm like, why God, don't you remember? Don't you remember why? And yet we have to recognize that God is a just God. And when we're dealing with the consequences of our own sin and our own actions, it's not that God doesn't remember us. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's trying to discipline us to bring us back into right relationship with him. You know, I think about this as a parent all the time. You know, I have three girls that are three years apart and we're at the sassy stage. And You know, there are times where I will let things go when they're being sassy or mouthy or um, they say things that are just a little bit cutting. I might give them a look and they know, you know, they know what that look is like. If you're a parent, you know, I'm talking about the look. But there are times where they take it too far. And then I do have to step in and discipline them and hold them accountable. And of course, it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that doesn't change the fact that they have done some damage to the relationship by the way that they have chosen to speak. And so the discipline has to help them. But the goal of the discipline is to, of course, have them act differently, but also to there's a restoration of a relationship that happens. And so a lot of times what we'll see in our family, especially, is after the discipline is finished, then we have a repentant heart on our hands. And that repentant heart is so much more teachable. So getting back to the psalm, the historical setting, I think, is important to point out. We're talking about the time of the destruction of the temple. And so this is sometime after 586 BC. And that was when King Nebuchadnezzar had captured Jerusalem and burned the temple. You can read about that in 2 Kings 25. And so soon after that tragedy, the details are really fresh in, their, in the psalmist's mind. That's the point where Psalm seventy-four was written, and Psalm seventy-four may have been used as a lament on other occasions because remember, a lot of the psalms were also the hymns that that they would sing in the temple. So it could have been very well used as a community lament at other times. But the desecration of the temple is the undercurrent of what we're understanding, and it was a foundational moment in Israel's history. I actually think this is a good place to take a break. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor when we come back. We'll dive into the rest of this psalm. Stay tuned. As we dive back in, there's a couple things that I think might be helpful to point out as we go through this psalm. This psalm is a mascal, and we've talked about mascals in the past. Just as a reminder, a mascal is a kind of psalm that teaches a moral lesson. And so this is one of the Asaph psalms, but only Psalm 74, this one, and Psalm 78 have the term masculine in the title. And so that shows us that there was a purpose to kind of draw a lesson from the historical tragedies of Israel's past. So not just for us, but also for them, they would use this him or this psalm as a way to teach this lesson about not forgetting where they had been in throughout history. And then, of course, what we're seeing is, oh God, why have you rejected us forever? And that word, why, it's used twice in verse one even, but it starts us off by helping us to recognize that um, when it's used in this kind of way, in this kind of literary device, the way it's used here, it is referring to Yahweh's rejection of Israel, and there's an idea or an implication of abandonment of the covenant that He Himself made with Him. So it's not just like, oh, you know, we're we're feeling the pressure of this, but it's reminding Him, God, you were the one that chose us, you were the one that made a covenant with us, and you chose us and now you're rejecting us. And I think that's an important point because now remember what I've said about this in the past, not everything that we read in scripture is prescriptive. Sometimes it's descriptive. And so we have all done that where we have, um, we have done something and then there's a consequence, and then we tend to blame the person that's dishing out the consequence instead of blaming ourselves. That's what we're seeing here go on with Israel. And I say that just to make sure that we're recognizing that that is not an appropriate way to behave. A lot of the behavior we see in Israel is not something we wanna emulate. We wanna emulate the behavior of God. We want to pursue the behavior of God, God's character and God's nature. This is primarily a story about how God intervenes on the behalf of his people we are not looking to the israelites to say hey yeah this is an example from scripture so this is how i'm going to act instead the opposite is true we want to see how god interacts with them despite the way that they're basically being accusatory against him when it talks about why did your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture that smoldering anger it's kind of talking about an angry person who's breathing so hard that it seems almost as though their nose is smoking. That's the word picture we get in in the original language. And so since Israel is metaphorically talking about being a sheep of Yahweh's pasture, they are the sheep, he's the good shepherd. um, Anger smoldering against the sheep of your pasture is basically talking about why is your anger so visible to us? And so we see this repeated attitude throughout the beginning part of this psalm. In verse 2, it's basically the psalmist is reminding God that they are his people, the inheritance that he has redeemed. And there's two verbs here that, that are talking about being redeemed or bought and then inherited. And it's this sense of... Reminding God of the purchased part of the commercial law. And so it's this reminder of we belong to you legally. And then redeemed is common to family law. So we belong to you relationally. And so what the psalmist is doing is laying down the groundwork for saying, okay, we are your responsibility. We belong to you legally and relationally. We are yours. We are people of your inheritance, who you redeemed all the way around. We belong to you. And so that is the backdrop of this reminder that the psalmist is doing. But then we go into all of this stuff that has transpired that has happened in the meantime so it's talking about ruins and the sanctuary being burned and um there's no signs from god no prophets are left and what we see is this sense of them feeling abandoned they're feeling like not only are their circumstances terrible but they're feeling like god has abandoned them in the process And then, of course, there's an appeal. Don't hand us over like the wild beasts. And rise up, God. Defend your cause. Remember, remember, remember. And overall, we continue to have this sense where this is not just a prayer, but this is a plea of the heart. And one of the ways that we can kind of see this again is the way that this is written with the personal pronoun pronoun you for addressing God. So God is front and center in this psalm, and he's really the subject of the prayer and the object of the prayer. So the destruction has been done to your congregation. Israel is the sheep of your pasture. This is the nation that you purchased. This is your inheritance. This is whom you redeemed. Mount Zion is where you dwelt. And so the pronoun you, it occurs seven times, verses 13 through 17, and it's reinforced two different times by the words to you. And so God, the you of the Psalm is who the object of the Psalm is about is also the victim here. And while the poet doesn't recount the entire story in the third person, as he could have done, but he he does it in the second person, it makes us way more aware of the offenses. And so when it talks about God's foes, they're your foes. And the destructive sites on the place where you met us in your appointed place. And so there's a weight here. There's a weight where the offenses reach A real heavy proportion because it's not just against Israel. It's against the king of the world. It's against God, Yahweh God. So the creator, God, has now become the God that has been offended by Israel. And so while God is the one that has really been betrayed, there's still this sense of these questions, two overarching questions. Why and how long? And that is so common to the human condition when we're suffering, when we're going through something, even when we're dealing with the consequences of our own sin, our own actions, it's why and how long. The reality of that is sometimes those questions are not answered in our timeline. And culturally speaking, when we experience tragedies culturally, even here in the States, we say why and how long. When something tragic happens, the first thing we say is why. Or even like right now, we're going through this inflation issue uh, where everything is so expensive. We're just constantly saying, man, how long is this going to last? How long are gas prices going to be this high? How long are groceries going to be this high? That's a natural response to the human condition of suffering is why and how long. And it's very natural for evil events and even evil people throughout history to cause us to rise up and ask that question. But I think we need to look at something a little bit higher than even just those questions that we have. We have to first understand that that God is the subject of history. And what I mean by that is this world is primarily about God. And if we miss that point, then we miss the whole meaning of everything altogether. In the very beginning, back in Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The reason why our, our world today does not have hope is because we no longer recognize God as the subject of history, that God is both the subject and the verb of history. And so we've lost our perspective. And so what the psalmist is doing is he is saying that in his own words, but yet he's saying, God, you've rejected Israel. But then he's going one step further and he's saying, you are rejected as the king of you were bringing salvation to the earth, but it's you that have been rejected. And so not just understanding that the people of Israel have rejected God, but God himself has been the one that was rejected. And sometimes we don't think about that when we are faced with evil things in our world. So in all, re- all honesty, think about this in terms of our culture today the reason why we have inflation and i'm not going to get political i don't want i don't want emails but but the reason why we're having such high inflation in part is because of wars that are going on political divides that are going on things that are against god's righteous standard for the way we're supposed to live our lives and okay i'm not laying fault on anybody on any political party or even the people that are fighting the war but In a war, one person is acting on the right side of righteousness and one person is acting on the wrong side of righteousness. And so that war that's even happening, it's all results of an offense against God. All evil is a result of an offense against God. And so, yes, we're saying why and how long, but if we look at the bigger question or we look at the bigger issue at at play, we can look and say, okay, this isn't just a sin against me. This isn't just something that I'm suffering with. This is something that's really um, going against God and God is the victim of as well. Now the Psalm does get, the Psalmist does get in a bit of a self-pity kind of cycle. I mean, we see, say that because he is Uh, almost, you know, going through line by line and blaming God. It was you who did this. It was you who did this. It was you who did this. And I think that's very common for us to examine in, in our human condition as well. You know, there are times where people will look at the evil in the world and say, well, it was, you know, they'll blame it on God. It was you who, you know, gave me free will. That's a very common thing that we hear. Like, okay, my sin isn't my fault. It's God's fault because he gave me free will in the first place. Well, that's ridiculous, but that's how, that's essentially how we tend to look at it. And yet, the undercurrent that I think a lot of churches and a lot of even just Christians don't want to look at is the fact that it's the enemy that is mocking God, it's the enemy that is at work in this world the evil that is in this world is the result of us being in a fallen world and the forces of evil have caused a division in this world and it's visible within even within the kingdom of god we see a visible manifestation of the evil of this world that that the enemy has allowed to happen. He's caused to happen. And people have allowed the enemy to take control in so many ways. And so what we have as a result is a God who is not going to just stand quiet forever. He's going to intervene. He's not going to continue to allow the enemy to thrive and go unchecked. But when he starts, when God starts to deal with that, it's going to feel heavy. It's going to feel like discipline, and the temptation for a lot of people is to then blame God for that discipline when really what God is doing is he's acting in an act of love and I think that's a dangerous thing for us to do you know if I again going back to the the example of my daughter, if I hold my daughter accountable for the way that she uses her words, and I hand out discipline, and then my daughter blames me for the discipline, or she blames me for giving her a a home where she feels like she has a voice. Um, Is is, is that really going to deal with the issue? No, it's not. Instead, I think what we need to do as believers is recognize God's hand of discipline when it happens and take a step back and recognize, okay, where's my role in all of this? And while we can't maybe necessarily affect change on the grand scale in the level of, okay, inflation and wars, what we can do is we can check our own hearts and we can make sure our own hearts and our own actions are in line with what God's standard is, because it's all a contribution to a much larger problem. And so if we all take accountability for ourselves, that will drastically change things for the better. So given those insights, I want to go back and reread Psalm 74, starting in verse one. Why have you rejected us forever? O God, why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? "'Remember the people you purchased of old, "'the tribe of your inheritance, whom you redeemed. "'Mount Zion, where you dwelt, "'turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. "'All this destruction the enemy "'has brought on the sanctuary. "'Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. "'They set up their standards as signs. "'They behaved like men wielding axes "'to cut through a thicket of trees.' They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But you, O oh God, are my King from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the seas by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up the springs and streams. You dried up the ever flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, O oh Lord how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually." God, sometimes these psalms can be difficult to read, especially when we think about it in terms of what's going on in our world today. And we recognize the way that sin and the enemy has crept into our culture, our society, even our churches or our homes. Lord God, I pray that you would intervene. That on one hand, while we want to say why and how long, I think ultimately we wanna recognize that and admit that This is a symptom of a much larger problem, which is a community that has not been surrendered to you. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that on the behalf of our country, on the behalf of our leadership, on the behalf of our churches, on the behalf of our families. Lord God, we ask for forgiveness in that area. God, we ask that you would intervene. We ask that you would, like the scripture says, you would remember you would remember and that you would rise up and defend your cause. God, forgive us for our role or our part that we played and help us to be obedient to what it is that you're calling us to do so that we can be part of the solution. God, I thank you for your word in the way that even written so many years ago, it still has relevancy for us today. I thank you that you are a God that is sovereign and you long to to make right our mistakes. God, I pray that as we are going through seasons of discipline, even as a country, that we would recognize it for what it is and we We wouldn't be complaining, but yet we would looking be looking for opportunities to surrender and reconcile and obey you and your law for not just us but for the world that we live in. God, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friend, do you feel like you need a little one-on-one? My goal for the She Hears ministry, the Hearing Jesus podcast, all the resources that we have is to really help you learn how to hear God's voice so that you can be confident in your relationship with Him. And if you're struggling to learn how to identify or even overcome the barriers that you have in your life to growth, I want to be able to walk through that with you. Did you know that I'm a Christian life coach? Maybe you're struggling with something and you need some objective biblical insight or opinions, or maybe you need to work through something that feels just a little bit too heavy to do on your own. I would love to walk through that with you and land on some practical ways to achieve that goal. And so I have some limited coaching opportunities. If you go to shehears.org, there's a section where you can schedule some one-on-one time with me. I have Mondays and Fridays open right now going into the new year. So I pray that if that is something that you need, that you've been praying about that it would be an opportunity for you to take advantage of some one-on-one time with me and again my heart is really to help you lean into whatever it is that God is calling you to do. I pray that that's a blessing for you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.